Smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're continuing our series, Following and Sharing the Way of Jesus. In this episode, Matt Waldron is speaking to us from Matthew 10, verses 24 to 33. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Here's Matt. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Uh, I can imagine, I don't know if you've seen posters that say that. I have, I can't remember where. I feel like it would be appropriate at a skydiving center or something. You know, feel the fear and do it anyway. That's what they say as they shove you out of the plane. But I would love to see that poster at a hospital emergency department. <laughs> right? Because then we're in the phase of life where, you know, when we go to the hospital emergency department, it's usually with one of our children who's injured, and uh, the nurse asks our child, you know, what happened, and the child explains, and then the nurse looks at me like I'm a bad parent. And I would love to be able to say, excuse me, I take hospital health messaging very seriously. We have that same poster at home. Uh, it would just change things completely. So I feel the fear and do it anyway is one of those things that we all kind of get is sort of inspiring in the right context, yeah? Uh, fear can get in the way of doing good things. It can get in the way of us trying new things. It uh, can get in the way of a guy asking a girl for her phone number. It can uh, get in the way of us, you know, doing our best at something we want to achieve. But we also all know that that fear is actually a useful thing, yeah? Fear can stop us from getting hurt or doing something we regret. And so the obvious question is, uh, how do you tell the difference? Uh, if I'm feeling afraid of something, how do I tell if this is a good fear or this is a, an obstacle kind of fear? Well, last week, as we started thinking about following and sharing the way of Jesus from Matthew 10 to 13, uh, I noted that we live in a predominantly secular culture that is to say that the general assumption of most people is that spiritual beliefs are private and uh, you shouldn't you know, share them, particularly in public circumstances like work or school, especially not in politics. Uh, these things are private. But we also saw that following the way of Jesus is inseparable from sharing the way of Jesus. Uh, the slogan that Jesus gives his followers for this is, uh, freely you have received, freely give. Right? The whole basis of the way of Jesus is that God shares with us, so we share with each other and with others. It's all about sharing. So to not share that, well, that would just not work. So this raises a question. If I feel uncomfortable or even afraid of talking about Jesus in a particular situation today, how do I tell if that feeling is helping or getting in the way? How do I tell if that feeling is helping me be sensitive to people and, and respect people as individuals and, and care for them in their freedom to think for themselves? How do I tell if it's doing that or if it's getting in the way of being true to myself and respecting them enough to be honest with them and caring for them enough to tell them something I believe they really need to hear? How do I tell the difference? Well, our Bible reading today gives us three big boundaries. Right? There's always, you can always progress in, you know, by practice and getting feedback, but, but our Bible passage today gives us three big boundaries on this issue. If we're outside these boundaries, we can be pretty confident we're getting the balance wrong. If we're inside the boundaries, we can be pretty confident we're at least in the ballpark of uh, you know, being sensitive and also 
sharing uh, the way of Jesus with people. So those are don't be naive, don't be afraid, and don't be invisible. So let's dive in and I'll show you what I mean. Uh, Verses 24 to 25, Jesus says, The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and students, servants sorry, like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So I can, we can summarise that. Certainly the point it makes to me is don't be naive about this stuff. Right? Jesus went around showing people uh, the way he said we should live, you know, caring for people, including people, giving people hope, calling people to trust God and look after each other. And so Jesus was teaching, explaining, healing, casting out demons. And some people took offence. And so some people accused him of using evil power from Beelzebul to get rid of evil spirits. And uh, Jesus explains that's a ridiculous accusation. We'll get to that whole discussion in uh, chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel. But the point is Jesus came to lead people to freedom and freedom involves change and change makes people uncomfortable so that made Jesus unpopular. Nevertheless, uh, enough people were attracted to Jesus and changing to follow him that that made the established leaders jealous and so eventually they had him executed. Notice it's the very things that make Jesus worth following that people took offence at. Not everybody, but some people, some people enough to kill him and make you know, unfounded accusations of him. And so the point is, a student is not above their teacher. If you're following Jesus correctly, rightly, why would you not expect some people to take offence for you getting it right? Imagine Rob turns up for his first day of work. He's got a job through his father as a farmhand on a neighbouring farm. The farmer says, well, you know about farming, but let me tell you something that we do at my farm, that you don't do at your dad's farm. We look after bees. So that's the first thing I'm going to teach you. So they get on the big white overalls that really are overall. They put on the hat with the net hanging down around their face. They put their work boots back on, the special gloves on. They sticky tape around all the joints so the bees can't get in. And they get their smokers puffing away to calm the bees down. And they start walking towards the hives. And Rob says, well, this get up is a bit awkward, but it's better than getting stung. And the farmer says, better than getting stung more often. And uh, Rob says, so you mean you've still got stung? And the farmer says, yeah, I get stung maybe once every couple of months. And Rob says, so is that like when a piece of tape comes off? And the farmer says, tape up the way I've showed you, the tape won't come off. And Rob says, so is it when you've ripped the overalls and you haven't noticed? Is it when it's just a really hot day and you don't bother with the hat? Is it when you've got an itchy foot and you take your boots off? We're not going to get stung today, right? And the farmer says, it's not when I'm careless. It's just when the bees are lucky. At some point, you will get stung through the suit. And Rob says, well, I suppose once every couple of months is not too bad. And the farmer says, I get stung once every couple of months. You're new. A student is not above their teacher. 
Let me tell you my default process for thinking about sharing the way of Jesus. Let me tell you what goes on in my head if I don't deliberately take charge of my own brain. I say to myself, if I just love people enough by my actions, then eventually they'll be ready to hear my words about those actions. If I live consistently enough following Jesus and am wise and sensitive enough about how I share Jesus, there will never be any need for me to experience any hostility. Do you see what my brain is telling me? I can be better at this than Jesus. Oh dear. The message I need to hear, and I expect many of us need to hear, is don't be naive. The student is not above the teacher. If people respond negatively, that does not necessarily mean you're doing it wrong. Right? People responded that way to Jesus, and he was doing it right. So if you follow Jesus rightly, at some point, someone is going to take offence. Uh, when it comes to sharing the way of Jesus, I find myself asking, how can I avoid rejection? That's the wrong question. Trying to follow Jesus and avoid rejection altogether is unrealistic. It's naive. Jesus himself couldn't do it. So offending people might mean that we've been insensitive and treated them disrespectfully. We want to avoid that. But people taking offence does not necessarily mean that. So the question is, how can we manage the risk of rejection? How can we be sensitive but still tell people what they need to hear? Well, for starters, we can't be controlled by fear. Look at verses 26 to 31. But if we're afraid, we may not speak up at all, or the way that we speak up won't be empathising with other people and their needs because we're too busy being afraid. So verses 26 to 31, Jesus says three times not to be afraid. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, when we feel fear, we can't just snap our fingers and stop feeling afraid. At least I certainly can't do that. But that's not the kind of instruction Jesus is giving us. He doesn't give any kind of uh, meditation or mindfulness exercises to directly control our feelings. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but that's not the way he goes about it. What he gives us is three big reasons why his followers do not need to be afraid of people rejecting them. So why don't we need to be afraid? Well, in a nutshell, because the king of the world is our heavenly father. Verse 26 introduces it like this. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. So what's he talking about then? 
when will everything be disclosed and made known? Well, the full plan of God was revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus and the secrets of human hearts will be exposed when he comes again for the judgment of the world. God is not a God of secrets. He's a God of reality and showing people the truth. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. There is no point being afraid of people finding out you're a Christian because they're going to find out anyway. At, at least when Jesus comes back, it's going to be public knowledge and God's style is for people to find out. Imagine uh, you get your teenage girl, girlfriend pregnant. That's going to be hard to imagine for women particularly. Anyway, you, you get your teenage girlfriend pregnant and you try to keep it a secret. Right, that, that's a going nowhere plan, right? After a few months, her parents are going to notice something. And then you're going to be found out and you're going to look like a coward and so the whole basis of the conversation is going to be that you're not taking responsibility. If you find out you've got your teenage girlfriend pregnant, you go and face her parents straight up. You man up. You take responsibility. They're still angry at you. They still want to kill you. But then the basis of the conversation is that you are taking responsibility for this. Imagine uh, you're a Christian. You've been a Christian for a while. Uh, you don't tell people at your workplace that you're a Christian. Maybe there's someone who's uh, quite angry about religion for some reason, whatever your excuse is. But then they find out through a family member who knows a friend who goes to your church. They just randomly find out and they confront you and say, why didn't you tell me you're a Christian? What are you going to say? Oh, well, I believe that if you don't follow Jesus, you'll go to hell. But I thought if I told you, you might not like me, so I thought it wasn't worth the risk. They've still found out, but now the basis of the conversation is what a hypocrite you are for not telling them. Right? You might tell them and they might not like it. But at least have the conversation like responsible adults. It's better to tell people that you're a Christian than wait to explain that you're a hypocrite. Right? So verse 27 puts it like this. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Right? Take the initiative. Get it out there. People are going to find out anyway. What if people can do something bad to me in the meantime? Well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Verse 28, they could kill you. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So worst case scenario, which none of us, as far as I'm aware, are facing, but even if you're living under formal government persecution where being a Christian is penalised by the death penalty, even if you are a total selfish pragmatist with no principles or ideals, even if you have been so oppressed that there's not a part of you that wants to stand up for yourself, you are still better off being executed for following Jesus than being bullied out of following him. Because that is worse. Jesus was killed, but he was raised to eternal life. If you're killed for following him, you get to live forever as well. But if you get peer pressured out of trusting him, then you don't live forever, you die forever. 
God can destroy the whole person forever in hell, alone forever. So even, like, I feel like this is a classic movie trope, yeah? Even if you're the sniveling thief who serves the regenerating mummy to protect his own skin, the mummy's not the biggest bully in the playground. Even if you're the kind of goth wannabe who serves the vampires in the hope of becoming a vampire, the vampires are not the biggest bully in the playground. Even if you're Draco Malfoy who can't see beyond his own prejudice, uh, Voldemort is not the biggest bully in the playground. You're still better off following Jesus because he wins. He's already won. He's already defeated death. Who's going to take him on? But that's not actually, that, that kind of vibe, the kind of biggest bully in the playground vibe, is not actually the point of these verses. Because you'll notice, the same as the Bible always describes it, the Bible never says God is slightly more powerful than his nearest rivals. So on balance, you should side with him. That's never the point. The point is always he is so much more powerful. God is so much more powerful. God is the ultimate judge because he's the creator. He's the true ruler of everything. He's the real king who designed and made everything and cares for everyone. And that is expressed in his ability to exercise ultimate judgment. Only God can judge you because only God deserves to be able to judge you. His judgment is right. His judgment is the judgment that counts. What he thinks is what matters. So you don't need to be afraid of what other people think of you because what God thinks is all that really matters. And if you're a Christian, then you know that God is loving and kind and merciful and forgiving and gracious in his judgments. If you're trusting in Jesus, you don't need to fear people thinking you're a hypocrite because God has forgiven you even when you are a hypocrite. If you're trusting in Jesus, you don't need to fear people thinking you're prejudiced because God has declared you righteous despite whatever prejudices you might have. If you're trusting in Jesus, you don't need to fear people thinking you're a pathetic loser because God sees that in Christ you're an awesome person. If you're trusting Jesus, then you know that God forgives you for your sin and doesn't hold it against you and will care for you now and forever. Look at verses 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God doesn't just care for the world in a kind of general way. He's so intimately concerned with every one of his people that he notices when a hair falls out of your head. So he certainly notices and cares about the things that worry you. I realize for some of us, our hair falling out and our worries might be the same thing, but you get the principle. God is looking after you and will bring you through whatever happens 
and look after you in that process. We don't need to be afraid of people finding out we're Christians because they're going to find out sometime. We don't need to be afraid of what people think of us and our beliefs because what God thinks is what matters. And we don't need to be afraid what might happen to us because God will look after us. If you're trusting Jesus, then you know that the king of the world is your heavenly father. And because the king of the world is your heavenly father, you don't need to be afraid of sharing that. When we get fear under control, then we can just concentrate on being sensitive and respectful and kind and sharing Jesus with the world as best we can. Well, it's very uh, common and reasonable, really, to be uncomfortable with public speaking. Uh, but some of us need to do that as part of our jobs. So we learn the skills and we practice and we just keep taking the next step. So that might be practicing in front of the mirror or it might be practicing a presentation with colleagues for feedback before giving it with clients. Or as you get more experience, it's accepting the opportunity to you know, lead the seminar or speak at the conference or whatever it is. And although it gets easier, that discomfort probably never goes away altogether. So you just keep practicing and taking the next stop, step. It's also very common, not everybody, but common and reasonable to be a bit uncomfortable about offending people. Right? We want to get along with people. That's perfectly reasonable. I am certainly hardwired that way, so I need continuous practice. It doesn't matter how much I share the way of Jesus with people. It gets easier, but I can never stop practicing. So if you're like me, don't feel bad, get smart. Right? Figure out a system that works for you to keep practicing, facing your fear of telling people about Jesus. And just keep taking another step, any step, just keep going. It might never go away, but it will get easier. There are lots of ways you could do this. <clears throat> Let me just make a smattering of suggestions. Hopefully there's something for everyone. If these are too scary for you, you can dial it down by practicing in front of the mirror or practicing uh, over morning tea at church. If these are not challenging enough, you can dial it up by doing it with strangers. All right. So first set of suggestions are to do with merchandising. Right? One of the main ways people in our culture express their identity is through the products they buy. It's shallow, but it's what we do. So... Buy yourself a cheesy Christian mug to put in the staff lunchroom so that when someone asks you, what's that, you say, well, I'm a Christian and it makes me laugh. Or buy yourself some kind of Christian jewellery to wear so that people say, oh, that's new. And you say, yep, because I'm a Christian, it makes me feel beautiful or whatever is true, say that. Hopefully it makes you feel beautiful if you're a girl. If you're a guy, hopefully it makes you feel handsome. I don't know why that's the rule. Anyway, you know, spend some money... Make it public, but don't be pushy. You know, download a Bible verse motivational desktop for your phone. Right? This, this reminds me, because of Jesus, I want to be my best at work, or whatever it is. Right? When people ask you about these things, just, just say. Because Jesus, life, whatever, just whatever's true. So merchandising is one possibility. Second sort of idea is to upgrade the way you introduce yourself. Uh, I've got some suggestions, but really you can just Google this. There's, there's plenty of information out there about how to do better at introducing yourself to people. Because uh, first impressions set the precedent for the relationship in terms of what you expect. So 
find a good way to let people know when you meet them that you're a Christian. Not that you want to push it on them, but that you're happy to talk about it if they want to. Get that out there as early as possible. So one way of doing that is to find a kind of interesting question to use when you, when you meet people and you get past names and the weather and whatever the basics are. Have a good question up your sleeve that you can say, this might be weird, this is just the question I ask everybody. So it could be, uh, what are the three most important things I need to know about you? That might be a good one at work. Or, what is something you want to be part of my first impression of you that I probably haven't noticed yet? That's a good one if you're dating. Or, uh, what do you think are the best things about you? That's just a good all-round encouraging question, isn't it? What, are the, what do you reckon are the best things about you? I'd like to know those things. As I said, Google your heart out. There's plenty of suggestions out there. But if you can find a question that you're sincere about asking, then generally people will appreciate it. And most people who have social skills will ask you the question back. Just make sure part of your answer is Jesus. So merchandising, upgrading how you introduce yourself. Last suggestion, talk about what you do with your time. Uh, it's very ordinary in our culture to talk about what you do with your time whether it's looking after your children, what you do for a job, hobbies, what you watch on television. That's a very normal thing for us to talk about. So just don't censor that. Uh, if you're following Jesus, then that is, to some extent, something you do with your time, whether it's coming to church or reading the Bible by yourself or whatever it is. So, you know, you ask a friend what they did on the weekend, and when they ask you, you know, you give the list and you just don't leave church out. Or you're talking about what you do with your free time and you just don't leave praying out. Or if you're really stuck getting it going, if you think a friend doesn't know that you're a Christian, you feel like they know you well enough that they should, you just say, I don't want to be pushy, but can I ask you a stupid question? Do you know that I'm a Christian? I just feel like we know each other's sports and hobbies and TV shows. It's weird if you don't know that I go to church. So there's a smattering of suggestions. Uh, you might find things that are better for you. That's great. But the thing is to just keep taking the next step. Just keep practicing. Uh, don't be invisible. Uh, verses 32 to 33 finish off our Bible ring tonight with an encouragement and a warning to make sure we're not invisible. These are the kind of three big boundaries to know if you're kind of in the ballpark of sharing the way of Jesus. Don't be naive. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't let your fear control you. And don't be invisible altogether. So verses 32 33, Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So if you're a Christian, think about the time you've been following Jesus, look back over that part of your life and ask yourself, have you acknowledged Jesus before others? Maybe when you first became a Christian, you told your family and close friends. Maybe when you got baptised, you invited your friends to come, and no one came, but at least you invited them. Maybe when you started going to church, you mentioned to someone that you'd started going to church, or you asked people to recommend a good church. Maybe when someone asked you if you were religious at all, and you felt like this was 
just before they start criticizing religious people. And then, as you're hesitating, someone else dobs you in, and then you don't deny it. And if any of those are you, be encouraged. Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So be encouraged. What about if you haven't done any of those things? What if no one outside church knows that you're a Christian? In short, what if you are a coward like me? What if you're a coward like the Apostle Peter? Do you know that story? Right, just later in his book of Jesus, Matthew tells us that before he was arrested, Jesus predicted to his disciples, you're all going to desert me. And Peter plucks up the courage to say, never, I'm never going to, it doesn't matter if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, you'll do it three times in the next 24 hours. And Jesus is right. They come to arrest him. His disciples all flee. Peter and John follow at a distance. And so then Peter gets asked, oh, so you're with Jesus? And he says, no, 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 no. I just, uh, just happened to be here in the middle of the night. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he keeps getting asked. He keeps denying it. And he swears it's not true. And then he's racked with guilt when he realizes. The warning of verse 33 applies to Peter. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. That could not be more serious. Right? If I don't know Jesus, I mean, if I don't really know him, that's why I'm going to disown him, then Jesus doesn't know me, and then he doesn't save me. If I'm saying I don't know him, then I don't know him. He hasn't brought me back into God's family. I won't enjoy the benefits of that forever. Instead, I'll be cut off and alone forever. It cannot be more serious. But God is forgiving and powerful. He moved Peter to repent, not just feel bad about it, but to change his ways and follow Jesus with new boldness. In the book of Acts, there's this great story, chapters 4 to 6, where Peter is, is very publicly telling people, about Jesus and his ways and the need to turn to follow him and trust God properly. And the Jewish uh, ruling council, the Sanhedrin, are very offended by this. You know, we, we thought we'd got rid of this movement and now they're going again. So they arrest Peter and the other apostles and uh, they threaten them and say, you, you cannot do this anymore. And uh, Peter says, well, we can't stop. We're, we're following God's ways that he's shown us through Jesus. So they threaten them some more. They let them go. They keep preaching. They're offended that their instructions are not being followed, even under threat. So they, they arrest them again. They're, they're so angry they want to kill Peter. The only reason they don't is basically they're afraid of making him a martyr. But they are not holding back on the threats. And they have him beaten. And the Bible says... They went on their way rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Rejoicing that they're worthy to suffer for Jesus. Right? They're treating us like they treated Jesus. 
What a privilege. Having found themselves under the warning of verse 33, they are just overjoyed to find themselves bathing in the encouragement of verse 32. What, they, what Peter had heard Jesus say to his face, whoever acknowledges me before people, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. God is forgiving and powerful, and he can do that in you. So, given that none of us are perfect yet, how do we grow in standing up for Jesus? Well, we've just got to keep trusting Jesus. Uh, Jesus died and rose to bring you back into his family. Uh, Believe him. Practice trusting him. Practice following him. Keep remembering that the king of the world is your heavenly father and you don't need to be afraid. So, you don't grow in following Jesus by being afraid that God is not your heavenly father and that you've got to do better to get him to be your heavenly father. You grow in following Jesus by believing Jesus' promises, believing Jesus' work that he's done for you, by believing that Jesus brings you back into God's family and makes God your heavenly father again. As you believe that and understand that and remember, remember that, that changes the way you feel. It changes the way you act. Well, on the afternoon of 4th of April, 1968, Martin Luther King was talking with a younger civil rights activist, 27-year-old Bernard Lafayette. And apparently King said, Now, Bernard, the next thing we have to do, the next movement, is to institutionalise and to internationalise non-violence. Well, at six o'clock that evening, Martin Luther King was shot dead. How would Lafayette respond? How would I respond? If someone was willing to kill over this issue, they must be really offended. Maybe we're doing this wrong. What if I get killed? I mean, maybe it's not worth it. Well, that's not how Bernard responded. He'd already been protesting for years. He'd been threatened and arrested and beaten multiple times. And he knew his mentor had been willing to die for the cause. And he knew a student is not above his teacher. So he just kept going, telling people what they needed to hear, going where he had the right to go, regardless of how people responded. In 1973, he was named the first director of the Peace Education Program at Gustavus Adolphus College, Minnesota. Later, he was a senior fellow at the University of Rhode Island, where he helped to found the Centre for Nonviolence and Peace Studies. Later still, uh, a distinguished scholar in residence at the Candler School of Theology at Emory Emory University in Georgia. He's a major authority on strategies for nonviolent social change and one of the leading exponents of nonviolent direct action in the world. The Reverend Dr. Lafayette is now 78 and says he's still got work to do. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you've built us to be uh, sensitive to things that are problems. Uh, Thank you that we just have these intuitive fears 
to try and help us not to get hurt. And we have these intuitive sensitivities to try not to hurt each other, but to respect and care for each other. Father, please uh, help us to grow in wisdom in using those well. Particularly, uh, give us wisdom to know uh, when our discomfort or fear is getting in the way of us telling people things that would be good to tell them. And help us to grow in being caring and respectful and sensitive as we do that. Uh, Father, thanks for the teaching of Jesus that gives us these clear guidelines. There's, there's more to it than this, but thank you that this is such a great foundation. Not to be naive, we don't need to be afraid, and we mustn't be invisible. Uh, please help us to be uh, honest with ourselves as we assess ourselves against those boundaries. Help us to be honest because we know uh, that there's no need to hide from you. Uh, you just want to help us grow in being the people you made us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.